The early 2000s is a transitional period for many people because maybe you were like myself, you had a whole lot of VHS tapes recorded and not, but then DVD comes out and you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's not gonna look better. Oh my goodness, it does. And then maybe you're watching television and whether you like wrestling or you absolutely hate it, Everybody was talking about the Monday Night War, and in 2001, we had arguably one of the best WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania X7, and in many ways, people point to this event and saying, hey, is this the end of pro wrestling's Attitude Era, where it was ECW, WCW, WWF, what happens when that World Wrestling Federation actually buys out their competition? So. In this episode, we're gonna have a three-part discussion ending with the following. Was WrestleMania 17 truly the end of the Attitude Era? We're gonna talk about that on a cast of the past with a brand new episode available each and every Sunday with yours truly. I'm Juan Velas from Puerto Rico. Joining me from Boston, Massachusetts, we have the lovely, the incredible, the amazing Ryan McNulty. Now, Ryan, in your case, going back to uh, 2001, what were you watching on the uh, small screen? Of course, aside from professional wrestling, I was watching a decent amount of Nickelodeon and pretty much every sitcom that was on Fox, whether it was Drew Carey's show or I can't even think of another one, but Drew Carey's show was... <laughs> I watched a lot of Drew Carey's <laughs> show Carey for show. some reason. And the other ones are probably oh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld, of course. How could I forget? Seinfeld reruns. Oh, Home Improvement. And then uh, a lot of The Simpsons as well. Wow, home improvement. I, I could talk about that one for, for hours, but that was an awesome show. Now, from London, Ontario, we have uh, Keith Hamilton. Now, same thing. When you think about the early 2000s, what was on your menu? Not on the big screen, but on your home. Definitely a lot of wrestling as well. But man, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't recall a lot of what I was watching around then. I know it was 90% wrestling. And when I wasn't watching the new stuff, I was like watching my little VHSs of the old stuff. But the Drew Carey show for sure was in there, along with whose line is it any whose line is it anyway? And some I of the think, best stuff. I don't know if it was that time in my life, but there was like a minute in my life where I was really into game shows and I would just watch nonstop like the game show network. It was just like card sharks, family feud, match game, all those old reruns. Like that's what I would just watch constantly. And I feel like it was around then. So I'm going to go with that. That's a that's actually a really good observation there because when it comes to 2001, I was looking at some of the shows that made their debut. Like we have The Amazing Race, you know, we're going to be talking about WrestleMania. The first season of Tough Enough started out in 2001. So it feels like they kind of took like the real world, all that stuff that was popularized in the 90s. But yeah, Fear Factor also made its debut in, in yeah, 2001. This was like the beginning of the reality show slash game show time. It was in its like oh, yeah, infancy until the boom Survivor of reality came along. TV. Survivor first season was probably around this time, if I remember. Yeah, a and lot of that stuff. It was off to the races for there, from there. And I think this conversation's uh, very important because when people talk about the Attitude Era and wrestling never being as popular as it was back then, I really do think it's also a lot to do with, hey, look, TV, like the small screen was not the small screen. Like, let's think about, you know, spoiler free, any of that stuff. It's like WandaVision, all these uh, subscription services, like watching things at home is just as big of an event now 
as it was going back to theaters back in the day. And I think that before TV had this stigma where it's like, oh, you're only an actor for television shows. But I think in the early 2000s, a lot of that really did start changing. So how like how important do you think that evolution was with wrestling? Do you think that just like the the fact that so many other things became popular kind of like led to wrestling not being as popular? Because it's like, hey, it's not like now where everything is available 24-7. Like before, you got to choose like when that primetime slot comes out, you know, you got to choose between Monday Night Raw, SmackDown or any other show out there. It definitely helped to have that competition because like you said, during the Monday Night War, during this Attitude Era, which was about 1997 to 2001, you didn't have all these on-demand services. You didn't have the ability to go back and watch clips on the internet afterwards. You needed to be in front of your TV Monday at 7 o'clock to either watch WWF or WCW and then you switched back and forth like me if you had both of them uh, during the commercials like it was an event more than anything like yes there were like actual events like the pay-per-views but sitting down in front of your television and watching the show and that went beyond wrestling all of those shows that we mentioned earlier like every time there was a new episode of fear factor you needed to sit down in front of your tv thursday at six or whenever it was and then as things progressed as we the internet became more of a thing like I would argue that television never really recovered from that right so that's where that like it kind of took the back seat slowly and steady to something like a movie where you still had to go and have that event like okay this new movie X comes out on Friday you need to get your ticket you need to drive to the movie theater and still go see it yeah, maybe maybe to kind of clarify in the context that live television never really recovered. But if we look at like television shows, I would say that, you know, wrestling during the 2000s, you know, the late 90s and the 2000s was, I feel like, current in like the perfect thing at that time for television because it was before DVDs were had fully taken off. So a lot of shows that were episodic were kind of like loosely episodic like you have a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where there is like a coherent story but you can kind of pick and choose episodes and you're not really missing too much and wrestling was kind of like that and it was must watch TV on top of that so it's like you kind of had this storyline that was strung together but if you missed an episode it wasn't the end of the world and it had just like the Jerry Springer craziness aspect to it, but then you also kind of had that episodicness to it that not a ton of other shows had at the time. Sitcoms were kind of like the big thing that was like every every single week you're hitting the reset button, basically, and it's an it's a new adventure. So at that time, I think wrestling was just like in the right place at the right time for television. And and then things like television shows evolved after this. And I think wrestling's still trying to catch up to this very day. But in 2001, it was still very much, uh, you know, must-see TV and really culturally relevant. That, that's a good point, because for those late 90s years when it was the thing to watch, like it, it kind of 
created a new form of television. Like, yes, it was around the whole live TV Monday Night Raw thing since about 95, but it really hit its pace in like 97, 98, 99. And it was the thing to watch until you had your reality TV shows when that became the thing to watch. And then, yeah, like you said, wrestling kind of fell behind and never really caught up again. Yeah, in a, in a couple of minutes, we're actually going to talk about specifically that, like what made wrestling cool during that time. But even though we're talking about like wrestling sports and we're not talking about the whole like predetermined things, just like I feel like as a TV viewer, when something's live, you're a lot more compelled to watch it, right? Because it's <laughs> like, it's not as fun. It's Anything like, can happen. It's live television, folks. Exactly. But then even then... I remember watching Fear Factor before knowing like who Joe Rogan is now, right? It's like, hey, here's this host known as Joe Rogan. What's he going to do in his life? But then the whole process of like having conversations with family members about who won, right? Like Survivor, it was the same thing. Uh, the Weakest Link, that made its debut in 2001. And I remember watching that and it, it's like, um, who wants to be a millionaire? It also happened around this time. Oh, that was huge. Yeah. yeah, that was a big event show where you exactly. sat down and you watched Millionaire every night. Because I think television became a lot better at, I need to consume your specific time. And yeah, you really do owe it to the evolution of like the reality shows, you know, throughout the 90s and all of that. And and even then, in 2001, and I really do think things like this did affect wrestling in many ways. Like, you know, Ryan, you brought up Nickelodeon. Like, I freaking love watching SpongeBob and all of that. But in 2001, we also got the debut of Adult Swim on the Cartoon Network. And I think many of us, like, that was our introduction to, like, hey, these are cartoons, but it's a little bit more, you're not used to watching this. And it was in that later time slot. Like, I remember when, like, uh, same thing with Toonami and Adult Swim. It's like, when you got the intro, you're like, oh, oh, now we're getting into, mm -hmm. into some of it that was, adult stuff. It was like a sweet middle ground, right? Because you had South Park around then, but that was like the extreme. And you, you, you didn't need that constantly. And then Adult Swim just brought it down a couple notches. So it's like, oh, I can actually talk about this with people without seeming like a monster. Exactly. So now getting into our, our second question, and I think it's like a healthy transition. So we all recognize that uh, TV was definitely evolving. And wrestling was around that time. Like, let's not forget, 1995, for those that are not big wrestling fans, was a very deep, dark time. That's when just like wrestling, 94, 95, uh, people were stopped, you know, were not really going to a lot of shows. Wrestling became very lame with these just like outrageous characters. But they then, were stuck in the 80s, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you going to tell me that the wrestling garbage man was a lame character? Hey, hey, or you leave Duke Drossie alone, Keith. You or leave Duke Drossie alone. The wrestling hockey player? Or Mantar? The wrestling exactly. Mantar? I don't know what Mantar is. <laughs> man. A man and a centaur? The, the, the more that you look at this stuff, you're like, come on, wrestling. What, what the hell were you thinking around that time, right? You could, add, you could pick any year one and you could ask that question and yeah, it actually would be relevant. a little bit of a different reason. But <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. That's Some a good years point. it's because they had the gobbledygooker come out of an egg. Other years it's why would you put that on television? It was trash. So, uh, Keith, starting it off with you, if the question was, why was pro wrestling finally considered cool during the mid to late 90s after years of people just like making fun of it? Like you and I are wearing wrestling shirts right now. 
if you tried wearing a wrestling shirt in 94, 95, it was like, oh, you're a weird kid. But then towards the late 90s, it's like you had to wear Stone Cold, The Rock, NWO shirt for you. What made it finally cool? I can distill it down into four words. Stone Cold Steve Austin. That is, I believe, the like everything that revolves around wrestling success at that time is because of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I mean, you could argue the same thing for WCW and the NWO, but it's the attitude, uh, pun intended, that uh, came along with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because when you look at the 90s, the late 90s, the whole world was all about that attitude with your Jerry Springers and your South Parks and your Simpsons. Like it was all like, eh, authority, me, 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 me. And just being able to have this character on television that would drink beer and flip off his boss and beat the crap out of him. Like Stone Cold was what wrestling needed to get ahead at that time, the character of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and just riding that wave, because whether you want to say like, oh, you can attribute it more to the NWO, which was the equivalent, a group equivalent that was happening on the other promotion, WCW, but the attitude and the aggression that was brought with it, thats that, that was wrestling in the 90s, the late 90s. So, Ryan, yeah, in your case, you got into wrestling in 2001, right? It was around uh, 2000, this time. 2000. 2000. Late 2000. I remember Stone Cold was out on his injury when I started watching, and it was like right before he came back. But, yeah, I think the NWO, you know, this group that started in WCW having kind of this like FU attitude and WCW started getting really popular and that forced the WWF to make that change. And that was eventually how we got, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and everything from there. But very much it was a time where wrestling was able to match the the culture of its time where there was a you know there was basically that fu attitude that was kind of the popular thing in the late 90s that kind of movement this like counterculture that it, it's like now today you just don't see as much because the internet has just created like 50 million different little cultures it's that you can never now. you can never capture an appeal to like a large group anymore because there's just so many small segments but at that time wrestling was able to really strike into you know a lot of people's um, imaginations and just create this huge movement of wrestling fans that just were passionate you had degeneration x as well and it's just it was all clicking it, you know they were banging on all cylinders and just right place at the right time and everything worked out and wrestling exploded and it's it's hard to think that they'll ever get there again because it's like i said the the world is just such a different place now it was really the like the infancy of reality television that's what wrestling was pulling off during that time because you had these larger than life characters that were based more in reality now because you didn't have your hulk hogan's the the traditional hulk hogan of let me tell you something brother say your prayers and eat your vitamins and i'm gonna slam andre the giant 750 pounds in front of 55 million people in the thunderdome brother you had more of like a like 
your um your your mr asses where <laughs> i don't know why that's the only <laughs> yes. example i could yes. come up with when, but when i think it, of attitude of all I your relatable ass. examples <laughs> i had to choose billy gunn mr ass because <laughs> it's not this like over the top character anymore it's not this larger than life earthquake it's just billy gunn and the road His dog ass. and X-Pac, just these guys that are just cool guys, not characters, or but yes, characters, but not characters, kind of like reality television. And they were just like cool dudes that you wanted to watch on TV. Yeah, and even someone as famous as The Undertaker for having this dead man gimmick changed like adapted with the times and he became made cool. himself he became cool yeah he made himself mm-hmm. a more realistic character he came back to life and decided yeah. to be a biker yes recognizing that maybe this wasn't the right time to be that character and you got to look at something like the hardy boys right the hardy boys uh, I think everybody thinks about the tables, sliders, and chairs matches, which in our WrestleMania 17 review, you know, we'll be talking about that. But you look at these people, it's like, what were the Dudley boys? Two dudes, like two guys that just love to beat up people. Uh, Jeff and Matt Hardy, like they were just dude in pants and like, you know, uh, 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 tight t-shirts, like Edge and Christian, same thing. I think it's interesting because when you look at wrestling a couple of years before, you know, we mentioned like, what do you have? Like your gobbledygooker, your uh, the goon, all these characters that just make you cringe and they are below what society deems acceptable. But then as the Attitude Era came in and wrestling became popular, it's like, hey, I can totally envision myself being Stone Cold Steve Austin. I can totally envision being Hulk Hogan around this time where people love me. And then they started booing me. So I'm going to turn on you. I'm going to take over the whole show. And I think it's all of these dreams that many people have had in their heads for years. And we actually got to see it. And Ryan, you made a great point that I don't think wrestling can ever match that because I think social media has taken over that that feeling. Right? It's like I can follow you on social media now. And maybe you're living the life that I want to live. I mean, I don't know if that's true, Ryan. Although you do have your pug and your pug is amazing and I don't have a pug. So I guess it's kind of similar, yeah, right? Social media, I mean, it can be unhealthy because it, it creates envy and that can lead to a bad thing. But to kind of piggyback off of the, the original point of there's so many different communities now because you can even look at like a television show like Game of Thrones, you might be able to say was like the last like event television that may ever exist where there's just so many people that are ready to watch one show live that i mean you have we seen a show like that since i would i would say no like the mandalorian is maybe like the closest thing that i've seen but even then it's like that's still like mostly people you know star wars fans which i know is a big community but still like you gotta be i feel like a certain level of star wars fan to to be really dedicated to watching that you know as it as they show it weekly so yeah event television has kind of come and gone and aside from like the super bowl once a year you just really don't see it anymore i kind of disagree with that because it's not that it's gone it's just hasn't come back if that makes sense like there's always going to be something that yeah. breaks through well, it just I'll hasn't just happened argue, in a while it, it'll always be there in a 
to a degree, but it will never reach the same volume of people aside from basically the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it only happens like once in a generation, right? Like it's, it's weird to think about it, but the only other thing really in our lifetime, or I guess there's two things that I would put on the level of Game of Thrones are like Seinfeld and Friends. Like those are the must watch, sit there every week and check it out and sit in front of the TV. Breaking, Breaking Bad, sort of there, but I think it got more popular after the fact almost when people could go back yeah, and watch I, it. But yeah. I, w- I wouldn't put it on that level. And just think about the time between Friends and Game of Thrones. I imagine there will be another one again. And, and I think there's a lot. The problem is that in, in going back to our discussion here with wrestling, back then, because it's like, yeah, you could record things on a VCR, right? Like that, that was something. But... With wrestling, for example, you wanted to watch Monday Night Raw live during the 90s to see what Stone Cold would do next. You wanted to watch WCW Monday Nitro to figure out what was going to happen. Even with Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones was a series that was still like when that was watched. I didn't watch it, but my wife did, right? It was still like on the HBO. Like there was the HBO app, but it was still like, hey, you got to tune on HBO when that happens. You look at something now like a One Division, which came out every Friday. It comes out Friday, but Keith can watch it in two in the morning. I can watch it in the afternoon. Ryan can watch it at night. And that creates like a disconnect because we're, we're watching it on the same day, hypothetically. But it's not the same experience that like I know Ryan is watching it at the same time that I'm watching it now. And I think that essence of like the the necessity of I got to sit down and check this out now is maybe why wrestling was so damn popular in the 90s. But once everything else became that, it's kind of like, oh, I mean, I, I could yeah. watch The Ass Man or I can watch these 30 shows that have been able to give me that same essence in different ways. Yeah, it was just an amalgamation of everything that was cool in the 90s, right? Because you had rock music still existed in the late 90s, RIP rock music. But I mean, even though like it's kind of cringy to look back at like Limp Bizkit and things like that, but that was the music that was popular. And that was the music, that was the type of music, literally Limp Bizkit, you were hearing in wrestling. Then You know, you had shows, we talked about Jerry Springer, there was a ton of other shows like Maury and stuff that were big at that time, and the ridiculous storylines in wrestling were really just an extension of those types of shows, the drama between, like, she's sleeping with who or whatever. You know what, that (laughs) would actually be like a fun episode sometime of like, I lay out a scenario and you have to tell me if it was Attitude Era or Jerry Springer. Ooh, that would be difficult. That would be difficult. We're too big a wrestling nerds, though. (laughs) Like, I feel like we're too big. We need to ask someone who's not as familiar with wrestling. And that could actually be really funny. Anybody that's watching and listening now, a person giving birth to a hand, an episode of Jerry Springer or wrestling. It's like, just leave that to your imagination. An old lady getting powerbombed through a table. <laughs> I mean, oh, I feel like oh, that could that's be gotta be Jerry Springer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That always that happens on the Jerry Springer. <laughs> exactly. So... We've talked about the context of like why why wrestling became popular as a whole, like not just the Attitude Era, but just like wrestling as a whole, because even like, you know, ECW, all that good stuff that was, let's say, like 97, 99. You could even stretch it out till the year 2000. But 
much like anything else, like once people become used to something, you can only be the must-watch show every single Monday night. And then many things started happening, especially in 2001. I mean, 2001, like not joking, people, was maybe one of the roughest years because you have something like 9-11 that happened in September, and that directly impacted stuff like from like movies having to be delayed because like, hey, it's New York, and every movie has at least like one scene of New York or something. Video games needed changing. Wrestling had to adapt because obviously a lot of things happened. And in, in the context of wrestling and the Attitude Era, WCW and ECW were gone. The last ECW pay-per-view was guilty as charged at the very beginning of the year. And then in March, we had the Night of Champions uh, television show, which was the last broadcasted episode of Nitro. So by WrestleMania, if you didn't like the WWF, that was it. Like, you're out of luck. Like, it wouldn't be till years later where things like Ring of Honor and all of that through tape trading would be more available than, you know, things were uh, during the 90s. So... Considering this card that has things like Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, uh, Kane, Raven, Big Show, TLC2, The Gimmick Battle Royale, Undertaker Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock, and you have the things that concluded at the beginning of the year, would you say, starting with uh, Ryan, that the Attitude Era did conclude in many ways with uh, WrestleMania 17? I believe it, it absolutely did. I think WrestleMania 17 was the perfect end point for the Attitude Era. And pretty much after this event, we really did see wrestling completely change as we knew it. Um, yeah, it, it just encapsulated, I think, everything great about the Attitude Era. Of course, you have the great tag team divisions with TLC between the three most popular Attitude Era tag teams, Edge and Christian, Dudley Boys, Hardy Boys. Then you have like Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon, which really encapsulates the really ridiculous, absurd storylines that you would see in the Attitude Era. And that was just a great way to, to wrap that up, having the entire McMahon family, which really is where they came up as these prominent figures was completely in the Attitude Era. So that was like another encapsulation. And then you have the two biggest Attitude Era figures going head to head with Stone Cold and The Rock. And then sprinkled in, you have stuff like the Hardcore Championship and the European Championship. But it all like very much we saw a lot of that change immediately after, um, you know, all these other championships were introduced and then consolidated. It was the last time we really saw that structure for a long time, even with the structure of like Raw and SmackDown, where um, Monday Night Raw would happen and then SmackDown would almost be like a continuation to whatever what is happening on Monday Night Raw. And a lot of that changed very quickly following this. So everything we seem to know about the Attitude Era really did come to an end, especially with, of course, the purchase of ECW and WCW. And we saw WCW making a much bigger impact in the show after WrestleMania 17. So it, it absolutely was the, the conclusion in my eyes. Mm -hmm. it's it's never been like officially said but the way that like the wrestling year in the wwf works is that wrestlemania is almost like the season finale where everything kind of starts to build the night after wrestlemania towards the next one and if you think about that period in wrestling of march 
early April 2000 to end of March 2001. Like at that point, WCW and ECW were still prominent, but we were on the downward slope at that point. The best days of WCW were behind them, and they really just... The things that WCW gets made fun of, that's the time that that was happening. Your Viagra on a poles and Judy Bagwell's on poles matches. All of that <laughs> was during that season. It was on the downward slope. And ECW, while still a good product, was on a different downward slope in a financial way where just the money wasn't happening and they were on a crash course to hitting a wall financially and claiming bankruptcy, which is inevitably what happened happened about partway through that season in quotes of the WWF. So by the time we got to the end of the season, which was WrestleMania 17, well, now all the competition is owned and bought by the WWF. So now you don't really have that incentive to keep firing in all cylinders anymore because now you are your own competition just unofficially at this point because this was like before the brand split was so that's why like i think that's the essence of why the attitude era ended there because a it was the natural conclusion as far as the way that the wwf tells stories and b that's the point where the competition truly died and uh, it's worth pointing out, whether you like wrestling or not, people just didn't like wrestling on TV at this point. Like, uh, there's an excellent book for uh, WCW that I'm reading right now, and they talk specifically about, and, you know, there's, many, there's been many podcasts that say, look, uh, television executive producers saw wrestling always as, like, lesser than. And by the time that all these shows that we've talked about, you know, throughout the course of the podcast, movies, wrestling in the early 2000s was just not cool. People were, people had their time, right? It's like, oh, we had DX, we had NWO, cool. Can we please move on to something else? Plus, a lot of people are getting older. WCW were in the situation that under new ownership with uh, changes in TV, it's like they were getting cut and cut and censored and changed up until eventually WCW uh, was sold for almost next to nothing uh, to the WWF. And then in ECW's case, Extreme Championship Wrestling, the name is Extreme, right? They were so extreme that that also led to many problems with people just don't want their product on TV. Even you look at the tail end of uh, ECW and Paul Heyman, the former owner, said, look, we were adapting. Like... ECW was not that extreme towards its end because they knew, hey, in order to survive, I got to clean my stuff up. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, we've said throughout this episode that wrestling was catching up to like our real life problems. But in doing so, WCW, ECW and WWF kind of had to like be very normal so they could be advertiser friendly. So a family would feel comfortable in watching because it's like, hey, I can't be the only person that Whenever a certain match was happening, bra and panties, that's when your mom happens to walk in. It's like, oh, no, oh, no, yeah. no. I'm watching every time. Every wrestling. time. Exactly. I remember. Yeah. I think it was like in 2001, 2002. I fly out to Chicago with my family. And then it's like, you know, a lot of hardcore matches. But when does my uncle walk in? When? When Stacy uh, uh, Keebler is dancing. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I got nothing. 
I, yeah. I got nothing. It was just it was just worst. like when I used to play SmackDown Two on PlayStation One. It's like every time the Tristratus loading screen came up, it was when my mom walked in, <laughs> and you're just like, "Come on!" There's so many other ones, but there was like a weird, different phenomenon that any time my sister came in while I was watching wrestling, Rikishi was always on screen. I don't know how it was. It's just it was she just always the saw Rikishi was magnetic. Yeah. Just to pull that. It, it was it's, it's got its own thing. gravitational orbit, so she was yep. just pulled right in there. <laughs> she was pulled it into does. orbit. Uh. So the whole concept of like the Attitude Era really was the competition between companies. With WDF buying them out, they literally became their own, own competition. So as wrestling fans, starting with Keith, it's like when you found out, you know, even in this WrestleMania, it's kind of weird and, and crazy to think about. Like they referenced WCW here. And WrestleMania 17 is considered to be one of the best WrestleManias of all time, yet it's weird that you're seeing the beginning of the new chapter here. How did you feel knowing that eventually you're going to see some not-so-familiar faces on the show that you grew up watching? Well, like every wrestling fan, just thinking about in this bubble of watching WrestleMania 17 and not knowing what happened afterwards, I was really excited. Having watched WCW and then later ECW, them kind of going towards that invasion angle was really exciting. What ended up happening happened, but the concept of seeing the biggest stars from WCW, your Hulk Hogan's, your Sting's, your Goldberg's, all coming, your Diamond Dallas Page's, all coming to the WWF and wrestling against the biggest stars from that company, it was awesome. I was so excited for the invasion, but then we got Sean Stasiak instead, and it just didn't we do did. it for me. We did. <laughs> Ryan, in your case, obviously your context is very different because this is basically when you started consuming it. What did you think about this whole concept that like, hey, yeah, we are basically combining shows in, in many ways? Yeah. So when I got into wrestling, like I said, in 2000, WCW was already basically considered just complete crap. So it wasn't really anything I even, you know, I flipped to it like one time for about five seconds before I flipped back to, to Raw. Um, so coming in as a person who had no knowledge of WCW wrestlers, aside from knowing Hulk Hogan was there. And, you know, I recognized Sting's face basically just because of like stuff you'd see in stores and in Goldberg. But when the invasion actually happened, it's like these were people I didn't really care about because I just didn't know who they were. Uh, you know, eventually when I became more of a wrestling nerd, you know, you start to you start to do your homework and learn more about everybody. And obviously, like people like Rob Van Dam were really fun to watch. So eventually you just grow to like them based on what you saw in their work in the WWF and WWE. So um, it's really like it took a while for me to start liking a lot of these um, these new faces. And I think that's always been one of the weirdest things because I grew up watching WCW. So for me, it's like, oh, I'm gotta, I am got to make the change, right? I'm the one making the switch to watch the other show. And then I'm the one watching the WCW guys get destroyed by the WWF. And the problem, like as a fan, you know, I, I was under severe depression around this point, like being perfectly honest. And it was a rough time because wrestling was my escape. Yet I'm watching these characters that I loved 
and DDP became a stalker shortly after this. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. I, I don't forgot about know that. How Ooh. that is? Gee, I wonder why all those mysterious WCW fans that n- never came back. You know, exactly. It's like WWF basically told you, look, if you're a fan of ECW. Uh, you got your Rob Van Dam. Like he, he, he made the transition, but everybody else, it's like, screw off, yeah, essentially. Here, the difference was that WWF poached most of the EC to, or ECW talent at that point. The biggest stars in ECW, your Taz's, your Dudley Boys, with the exception of Rob Van Dam, were already with the company. So you're not just going to poo-poo on these stars you've already built. With WCW, all of these people were coming in fresh, and they're like, well, you are less than what we have. Why do we need a, a Chavo Guerrero when we already have an X-Pac? and just made them significantly less. And then the guys that did um, come over from the WW, or from WCW beforehand, your radicals being Eddie Guerrero, uh, Dean Malenko, Saturn, and Chris Benoit, they weren't seen as WCW guys. They were WWF guys at that point. So you were really just setting WCW up to fail as much as possible at that point. And I think one of the craziest things is when you look at the card, like we'll we'll talk about like WrestleMania 17 giving yeah, our let's our talk overall about everything that happened after WrestleMania 17 first, and then we'll then we'll go back to the <laughs> yeah, show. Exactly, no, but but yeah. what's crazy is okay, WrestleMania 17 regarded easily as one of the best WrestleManias of all time. Yet when you look at the card, like let's run down the card with a specific mindset of like end of Attitude Era. Let's keep that in mind, okay? So match number one. We have, uh, this is a, a, a tag team match. Um, oh, no. Oh, so is this, this like was the a, Heat? A, that, yeah, that was the, the pre-show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the pre-WrestleMania show I've was watched WrestleMania X-Factor. 17 like 20 times. I've never seen this match, the Sunday Night Heat match. Actually, that was probably the only things I saw because I couldn't get the pay-per-view yeah. back when it aired. So <laughs> same, I just like, saw Heat. It, same here. Like I wa- This was the match that I watched, and then I watched the VHS of WrestleMania once it happened. I tried so. to watch. I had it like scrambled, and I was trying to watch it like, on my like, TV. Oh, is that a That's super amazing. Ta- oh, no, that's just a table moving yeah. then uh, we had x factor which are the team of just incredible so former ecw wrestler and x-pac taking on uh grandmaster sexy and steve blackman so it's like even there you see a person that like keith mentioned made the switch from ecw next match the the official opening match for wrestlemania 17 we have chris jericho who in the year prior made his transition from wcw to wwe taking on will and regal who regal has been in both wwf and wcw and that was for the intercontinental championship uh then following match we have taz former ecw wrestler and the apa taking on right to censor uh, which have multiple people, including Steven Richards from ECW. The following match, you have Kane, Raven, and Big Show. So if anything, that is the, That's the most... perfect example. Exactly, because you have... You cannot be more WWF than Kane. You could not be more ECW than Raven. And you could not be more WCW than Big Show, who, I mean, his very first match, or one of them, was against Hulk Hogan. Uh, the following match, you have Eddie Guerrero with Perry Saturn from the Radicals taking on test. The following one, Kurt Angle and Stephen Richards, a.k.a. Chris Benoit, 
from former WCW. <laughs> I was like, what? For a second. <laughs> exactly. The, this is the only match in the entire card that I'm like, okay, and the gimmick battle royal, I guess. China versus Ivory for the women's championship, I think is the only match with the addition like of uh, of like the main events, right? The main events, like that's obvious. But like the lower card, it's the only WWF match I can think about because then you have Shane McMahon against uh, Vince, but Shane's whole concept is like, hey, you know, I'm Mr. WCW now. Well, I mean, it's still, I guess. Now we're f- getting to yeah, the Yeah, it's hairs. a little bit of a different <laughs> perspective. But and I would say the, the, the yeah. story itself is I'm the yeah. one bringing in the WCW talent. You have TLC, which include the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, but then you have the Dudley Boys, the gimmick Battle Royale featuring a lot of questionable talent, but that's the whole purpose. <laughs> and then you have Undertaker versus Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. So if you look at the entire card, more the, the larger portion of the card actually has external or people that you didn't just associate with WWF, which let us know like they were actually doing a good job before they merged WCW and ECW as companies completely into the WWF. Like, they were poaching the talent that actually made sense to include into the show. Mm-hmm. And then we got Sean Stasek, Keith. Yeah, like I said, at this point, the WCW and ECW decline was happening for like over a year at this point. So that they've been poaching talent for a very long time. So yes, this is considered the Attitude Era and the end of it. But by this point, like all of the companies have amalgamated together in this one thing. Like a lot of the stars that you consider to be the big stars of the Attitude Era weren't really even on this show. With the exception of, like, the big ones, like your Steve Austin's Undertaker's Rocks, but, like, with the exception of X-Pac that was in um, the uh, pre-show, none of Degeneration X, which was a miles or, like, a cornerstone of the Attitude Era, was there. So, yes, I, I, I see where you're coming from, but that, that's been happening for a long time at that point. And, Ryan, in your case, like, when you look at this card... Um, what do you think about like a lot of influences from people that you knew like were sort of just like getting in or they had been at most in the company for about a year uh, as of this point? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of wrestlers who had come in and really had made an impact in a short amount of time. I mean, definitely someone like Chris Jericho, who had, you know, basically, I mean, they brought I mean, if we're going to have a debut, I mean, go having a promo against the rock is is one way to do it but the fact that he held his own um and it made people really see him as a big star and this was you know jericho at this point was really becoming uh quite popular and um you know even someone like like benoit um certainly you know it's it's always awkward to talk about but um you know someone who came in and really made an impact um, as just being this no-nonsense technical wrestler let's, that let's did do the PSA. Popular. Let's do the PSA that you have to do every time you talk about him. We are going to talk about Chris Benoit the wrestler. What Chris Benoit the band did is completely aside and we don't condone it. And this is 2001, so this on. is way <laughs> before any of this happened or we knew about what could happen. So, And then... Uh, Let's talk. Let's open up with uh, this question here, which is WrestleMania 17 is usually regarded 
as I mentioned, is the best WrestleMania of all time. Having it watched now, starting with Ryan, would you say that this is easily one of the better WrestleManias or maybe even the uh, very best? I, I actually do think it is the best WrestleMania I've ever seen. I, I haven't seen all of them by any, not even close to all of them, but of the ones I've watched, I think this is, it really is the best one. It's just overall very, very solid. I would say there isn't a single bad match except for maybe the gimmick battle royal, but it was kind of like just a fun, it, like it wasn't taking itself seriously. It didn't last too long. The entrances were probably longer than the match itself. So I think you can really excuse that. And it was also nice to have Bobby the Brain Heenan and yeah. Gene Okerlund yeah, on commentary. I thought that stuff. was actually, um, that was like the only thing that probably saved that match. Uh, I really do think like you look up and down the card, you know, not every match was spectacular, but I think it was really well paced. Like the crowd, I mean, the crowd really makes a lot of these matches you know, more fun than they might have actually had any right to be. Um, you know, they were interested in everything, even, you know, at this time where women's wrestling was not anywhere near the caliber of what it is today, the women's match was exactly what it needed to be. And normally, you know, you start watching women's wrestling like a couple, you know, the 2001 all the way up to like, what, 2014, 2015. And it's, you know, it's a real bad scene on the shows with like crowd not caring and just not good matches. But this um, this was one match that was maybe not necessarily representative of how the Attitude Era had women's wrestling, but it was a better representation. It was a better than average representation yeah, of Attitude yeah. Era we women's were wrestling. in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, overall, I think it really is, of the WrestleManias I've seen, I think it is the best one. And it just has a phenomenal main event. And you never forget TLC too. It's just uh, a really, really good um, show. And of course, like Shane versus Vince, um, was exactly like I said, the, you know, the quintessential like attitude era type storyline. If you couldn't have Austin versus McMahon, this is like the second best thing to represent the attitude era. Pretty much. In in my opinion, the thing that makes WrestleMania 17 so good is it's a masterclass example of how to structure a wrestling show. Because there's a little bit of variety in all the different matches, but you don't really get two of the same thing one right after another. Like you have the, you start out with Chris Jericho and William Regal, and that's a pretty technical match that has its couple of big spots. And then you move on to like, uh, the APA versus right to censored where you're not going to get technical. You're going to get something two giant men beating the crap out of people. And then now it's time for something totally different with the hardcore match. And then you have your face versus heel match with Eddie Guerrero and Perry Saturn. And then the technical wrestling with Kurt Angle and then so on and so forth with the entire thing. Like there's so much variety in this show and you're never seeing a duplication of the same thing twice. There's always that little bit of separation in between the two matches and everything feels so unique and that's to me what makes wrestlemania 17 so special is that you're not really like you're not sitting there and watching the same match over and over which is something you kind of see a lot of these days in wrestling especially in the wwe everything had its own unique style and it had its own unique feel and it's great because of it 
I think what I loved about this WrestleMania is that um, this is before like a wrestling's uh, finishing maneuver. You know, you have to do three before a match ended. And something that always catches me off guard when I watch these like older shows is like, oh, you actually hit your finisher and and the match ended. It's like, yeah. oh, that, that's kind of crazy to think about. It's weird. I, it's it's weird. something we've talked about with, a, you know, some of these other shows we've also reviewed on the podcast, but the respecting of a, of a finishing maneuver and also just having sometimes random, th- like Jericho winning with the lion salt. Like you, you didn't see that too often. So that was, you know, something kind of interesting. But yeah, they saved the false finishes for the main event and it made the main event feel that much more special. And on top of that, the way the main event ended was kind of interesting. Austin just starts smacking the living hell out of the rock with a chair and then he just pins him. And it, it you know, it makes sense. So I, I appreciated that variety as well. And I also feel like this is a time before everyone had like a like a five moves of doom too, where, you know, you see that a lot more where everyone has to do like these same sequence of moves before they finish a match. And I think what's special is like, uh, for example, the uh, the six man tag with like Taz, APA, and the right to censor. When Bradshaw hits that close line from hell, you have no doubt that's going to end the match. Even mm-hmm. though the match just started, like the match lasted three yeah. minutes fifty two seconds, but you see that move hit, and you're like, hey, then that's call it. it. And that's yeah, it. I mean, and that that's another thing where matches are. I feel like the length of each match was as long as it needed to be. It's, you yeah. know, maybe Triple H and Undertaker yep. might have dragged on a little bit too long, but I think for the most part, the match lengths were all exactly what they needed to be. Exactly. And and I think a lot of wrestling shows, and, and look, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? It's very easy to talk about a show from 2001 in 2021 and be like, oh, these were simpler times. It's because like, it's literally 20 years ago. It's like wrestling has to somewhat evolve, but what I loved about the whole show is it's kind of like a concert, right? It's like you you check out your favorite band. You know they're going to start off strong, but they're not only going to play your three favorite songs at the very beginning because then you're like, well, what what now? You're, they're going to play a couple of songs that are shorter, maybe you don't know too much about, and then you're going to get the encore. And I think the problem with a lot of wrestling shows now, which WrestleMania 17 was great at, is not every song has to be the best song at the concert. Because if every song has to be the absolute best, when you get to the last one, people are going to be burnt out. I mean, the three of us have been to WrestleMania and we know what it's like to have every single match be like super lengthy. And you're like, I don't give a damn if the match that I'm looking forward to is at the end. Yeah, Yeah. I just want to go eat some pizza after a while. Here, because a lot of the matches were below 10 minutes, it's like before you can even think about being like, Ooh, they should call it. Oh, the match already ended. Awesome. Hey, I got to see my stars. The stage looks awesome. And something that has to be commended is the commentary. Every time that I go back and I check out an older wrestling show, I'm like, wrestling commentary has objectively, subjectively, whatever, it has gotten worse. Because when you look at a combination like... Yeah, when you think about Paul Heyman and Jim Ross calling it, this is a commentary team that a lot of people don't think about. You think about, you know, your your Bobby Heenans, you think about your like older generations, then you think about JR and the King, but this is somewhere in the middle 
And I think bringing in that ECW influence and like Paul Heyman can sell you your own car. He can convince you for you to pay your own car. You mix that in with JR in that clash, right? It's like, oh, these two people should hate each other. And I think they truly did bring out the best regardless of what was happening. And shouldn't that be the whole rule of like commentary is like, even if you're watching not something that's not great, they, they make you feel like that's something you have to pay attention to, right? Well, they're the narrator of this insane show, and that's their job. They they need to keep the ball rolling, but they all, there's also this fine line where they don't need to be the ball. Like, you're... They're supposed to be in the background, but the thing that you're listening to, if that makes sense. And they did such a good job of that, of it wasn't just Paul Heyman trying to get himself over and being the bad guy and getting all of the guys that he liked over. He was like paying respects to the match and the characters, even if they were the good characters, it was justification and that kind of thing. And still let you have the um, the pleasure of like of knowing that he's the ECW guy and just having a little bit more insight when it comes to those guys, like in the hardcore match, when he was telling you like, this is exactly what Raven is going to do. And then that's what Raven did. And it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I know little things like that are, are sorely missed. Like even thinking about like strategy in a match because yeah, the commentary, I, I really just miss that style. And Not only that, I really appreciated just even noticing right away, like in Jericho's entrance, like there was just moments where they just let it breathe. Like they didn't feel like they had to be constantly talking the entire time. And those moments, I feel like made a difference. And just being able to, you know, tell, you know, be able to tell the story that was going on, but not feel like they have to get in all these buzzwords and catchphrases the whole time. It was very refreshing to hear. It was. It really was. And something that's insane about the show is that I honestly forgot about the card. Like, sometimes I'll get WrestleManias mixed up, like, the, uh, between any three years. I remember I was up to uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit. That was the fifth match on the main show, sixth match uh, overall. And I'm like, man, so we have Stone Cold, The Rock. I'm like, holy crap, we still haven't watched TLC, too. It's like... Damn, right? You're seeing an amazing match here. Now, I will say, usually I talk about my favorite moments on a show or a movie, like whatever we review. Is there anything, I'm going to flip the script and ask, is there anything that you saw from the show that you're like, well, for WrestleMania, I did not expect this, or this is something that I don't necessarily miss? It's like when you remove that nostalgic label from anything that we're watching, is there anything that you're like, Whoa, that 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 does not happen now. Can I say chair shots to the head and how frequent <laughs> they are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably probably that and then you know definitely the culture at the time. I mean the culture of the world has changed so much. I mean I think there was some signs that were just like borderline racist that they showed on on TV. Uh, Lots you know, of things websites. Like that. like that was yeah. weird to see everybody promoting like their like wrestlingfigures.com. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was just one sign that really stuck out to me. It just said, grab my ass. Literally, that was the sign. I'm like, <laughs> damn, that, that would not fly nowadays. So that was kind of crazy. One thing that really stuck out to me is the uh, rough bumps. Like the referees being taken out and how like wrestling has gotten a lot better, I think now. 
at hiding that because back then it was very common. Like you had a ref bump two matches in a row, including the last match. You, you had the referee being taken out during Undertaker versus Triple H by Taker himself, like elbow dropping the referee. But then you had a ref bump in Stone Cold The Rock as well. And I thought that was like a little interesting. It's like, ooh, like two matches back to back. Yeah. That was a little weird to it, see. Yeah. If there was one thing to like nitpick, I, I think that's definitely justified as they did go to the well one too many times on the ref bumps. Other than that, though, I, I, you know, and I think it wasn't enough to really bring down the show that much at all. No, because in the main event of the picture of the WWF, that was a very much a mainstay thing. Almost every main event had a ref bump. Poor referees, man. That being said, like some of them got a lot faster than others. Like Mike Kyoto, he's one of the referees here. I'm like, yeah, he fought Damn. back. Yeah. Yeah. He, he got like he a pushed Triple H back. Yeah. Yeah. That was some really good stuff. So if you were to talk about this show match by match, this would be a three-hour podcast. So my my question, starting with Keith, would be if you were to pick one match from the show, and I know I know this oh is difficult. Oh, my God. What a yeah. question. <laughs> Get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Ryan, you got a little bit more time. If you were to be like, this is the match from WrestleMania 17. You hate wrestling. You got to watch this match. This is it. I'm pretty sure there's three options that you're stuck with, right? I will assume you got three choices that you're kind of like, yeah, iffy about. Yeah, come on, why isn't it just the gimmick battle royal? Let's be real. I mean, That's yeah, true. Iron Sheik won that thing, so yeah, and obviously it's got to be him. Fun story. I I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember reading it somewhere, and it's the reason why the Iron Sheik won is because he wasn't in good enough health to actually go over the top rope. So they had to like paint themselves out of a corner, make the Iron Sheik win, and that's why Slaughter came in afterwards and gave him the co or the uh, Cobra Clutch and ended with that, so they could still have their great USA America ending, but <laughs> working around the yep. limitations of the Sheik. But back to your question, I think it has to be Austin Rock. Like, yes, there are a lot of other matches on this show that are that would be great answers to this question. But to boil it down into a moment, like when that glass shatters and Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming down the ramp his music's playing there isn't a person on like sitting down during that moment during his entrance that is what the attitude era was just that electricity that austin brought at that moment and you can just feel how big wrestling was around then and then the exact same thing happening for the rock and even though they didn't have the fanciest match on the show because how the hell could they after something like tlc you just it really showed how solid of a performer it was like a lot of times these big matches don't live up to the expectations that are brought around them but until they got around to the submission part of the match, I got it. I was able to watch and be like, okay, that's why they're the two biggest people in the uh, in the industry at that point. Just they are so smooth and they can have such a good match with each other. If you were to show somebody on the outside, like this is why wrestling was as big as it was in 2001, I feel like it has to be Austin Rock. Something crazy about this uh, match, and I'd love to get your take on that before we get to uh, Mr. McNulty is so many wrestlers say this is the show that made them wrestlers like specifically WrestleMania 17 I think like 
70% of wrestlers that would be our age, like in the 30s, early 30s, would say that. This match, because the the rock bottom, People's Elbow, and the Stone Cold Stunner were so popular, it became of like, can Stone Cold hit the rock's moves and vice versa? Mm-hmm. And I think even though this is not the first time, this is not the first match to make it happen, I think a lot of people to this day have tried to emulate the essence of like, oh, can Stone Cold hit the rock bottom? Or what if the rock beats Stone Cold with his own move? Would you say like this is the match that really made that be the 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 thing that it is today i think so and yeah i i I would think so but it's just one of those things that's often imitated never duplicated right because they were such because they were such huge stars and there was so much weight behind it you believe that stone cold could have hit the rock bottom and pinned the rock it's just something that can't be duplicated as much as it does so i think it's the start it was just never able to hit that same level what about you, Ryan? Okay, so for this question, I would I think I have two answers. If that's the not in- fair. Yeah. I had to choose one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm taking the cop up. If the intent is this person they it's like they just have one match to see, but it's not with the intent to get them interested in wrestling. It's just like, "Hey, this person's only ever going to watch one wrestling match." Which match on this card do you pick? I would pick TLC2 because nothing can match the insanity of that match. But if I were to say, what is the match you would pick to get them into wrestling? I would pick The Rock in Stone Cold. I'm processing that in my head right now. Because if you show them TLC2 and you're like, this is wrestling, they're just going to be let down by every other match. That's true. Because nothing's ever going to be as crazy. It's just you can't live up to that expectation. It's true, though, because you look at that TLC match and you look at, once again, everybody involved. It's kind of unreal to think of how many of them are still actively involved in wrestling like edge and christian uh so those two guys were out or basically retired due to injuries yet in the past two to three years both have made their return in wrestling uh uh the the dudley boys like they're still actively involved in podcasts like uh devon dudley's a producer in wwe and the hardy boys are just still the hardy boys like that out of all of this it's still like just like Jeff Hardy's still doing Jeff Hardy things, and Matt Hardy is even, he's like crazy now, right? And that that is the whole character. He's big money Matt now. None of them should be able that. to walk, but no. somehow the majority of them are still wrestling actively. One of them's main eventing WrestleMania this year. It's ridiculous. Think about that. Think about I've, that. Like, I still don't, I still can't process how Edge can wrestle. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, like Edge uh, of uh, ENC, he has a lot of uh, different neck issues. And he was retired for how many years? Was it seven years? It was almost a decade. It was almost a decade. Yes. It, from like 2011, I think, or like, or 2012, maybe. Yeah, it was around that time. He like was nine the first years. WrestleMania 26 versus Alberto Del Rio yeah, was ADR, his last yeah. match. Yeah. And uh, a lot of his problems started out around this point. You know, he, he took a really nasty powerbomb in a match against Eddie Guerrero, uh, multiple things like that. So to see them actively involved now is just a thing. And I think that TLC, if you were to summarize wrestling in one image, it would be the, the moment where Edge is spearing Jeff Hardy, not just for the moment, for the crowd. You look at the crowd 
camera flashes. That is something that will never, ever, ever be duplicated. Like it is just something that like I I hate never being at a WrestleMania when those types of cameras were still a thing. Like when we went to WrestleMania, it was a lot more digital. But the whole concept of like you're seeing people like look back at that match and look at that moment. You see people like uh, moving the, the the shutter, like the rolling thing in the yeah. uh, in a camera. You're They're like, like oh, disposable oh. camera. Exactly. Like I got to get ready for this. And that anticipation does not exist with a phone because you just like take out the phone. It's like, well, I, I can record this in 4K at this point. And that to me exemplifies like the attitude era basically in in an image, but I think that's a great point too with the Rock and Stone Cold, like the the story that is told in that. And I mean, what do you guys think about like uh, the whole match between Shane and Vince? Like legit father and son. There's like the weird implication with like Linda McMahon was paralyzed and then she's not, and Trish is involved. There are elements of the story that definitely will be told differently nowadays, just a yeah. little bit. So it's, correction, what do you think about that? Correction. She was in a medically induced coma <laughs> from <laughs> having a panic attack about wanting a divorce yeah. or See, Vince McMahon wanting that's a divorce. The, thing. the stupid like the stupid storylines back then worked, right? They really worked and they they were done well as as much as they can like as much as they could be done well. Because at the end of the day, that match was really well executed for two people who can't wrestle to have a match. It was well executed because of how, how it was paced. And I mean, the fact that like, I nearly got goosebumps when Linda McMahon stands up from that chair. Yeah. The crowd (laughs) is so into it as stupid and ridiculous as it was. Those things worked then and the crowd was just all, they were eating everything up in that match. And they ended it on a perfect note with this, like, the one awesome move that Shane McMahon can do uh, is is what he did to end it. And, yeah, it, it was well done. And it, like that, they just haven't been able to replicate those types of storylines uh, the same way. So let me work through this quickly. My father is having an affair with a, one of his co-workers and wants a divorce from my mother so i'm going to fight my father and challenge him to a big street fight wrestling or jerry springer <laughs> ooh ooh i mean and, and that's why it worked because that was the world and the attitude era in a nutshell i just got to point out we got to applaud linda mcmahon because she was able to stay so neutral. Like she's got over 60,000 people in that arena. Like I cannot act to save my life. Whenever like I've tried doing actual acting and I got to be serious for like 30 seconds, I'll begin laughing. I'm like the fact mm-hmm. that she was able to watch all of this. I mean, she watched Vince McMahon make out like his actual wife, real freaking wife. You're seeing your husband make out with other women and all that. Yeah. You just keep this neutral face. I'm like, man, I can't say I agree, but. But that sure is damn impressive. Linda McMahon can't take a tombstone worth a damn, but you can act comatose. Yeah. And nowadays, Monday Night Raw is actually one of the ways that you can be put into a medically (laughs) induced coma. (laughs) Exactly. Yikes. They took that storyline and spread it across a three-hour show. Wow, Ryan, well done. Yeah, you just (laughs) went went for the jugular. That was like Stone Cold (laughs) stunning the WWE. Exactly. So 
we've talked a lot about the show and I, and I think there's different elements like one that we have to just lightly bring up for the sake of the two people involved is Triple H and the Undertaker Undertaker at this point is um uh rolling with it with Limp Bizkit <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh my God. Then uh, Triple H, you know, it's kind of weird because he's got the live performance and Lemmy, may he rest in peace. It's it's like, oh, that is the worst performance of the game ever. 99% positive that Lemmy forgot the words to that song while he was on the stage. I'm the game. He forgot the the melody of Mm -hmm. the the song, you know, like he's singing in a completely different melody. It's, I can just picture uh, yeah. Triple H wanting to like look like slightly to the sides, like yo, let me, hey, hey, like that's not the song, man. That's not yeah. the song. But speaking of that match, I think there's two kind of interesting points coming out of that. One is a fun fact that I remember hearing about in one of the DVDs or documentaries, but this was like one of the only times Triple H used a fake sledgehammer because he was supposed to, you know, he hits Undertaker in the head. But I think what ended up happening is the fake sledgehammer actually broke. And I think like yep. part of the wood ended up like stabbing the undertaker in the head. Oh, so wow. the fake sledgehammer ended up being probably more like more dangerous than if they used a real one. That's and, insane. Yeah. And the only other point I wanted to bring up was like, they do mention undertaker's WrestleMania streak, like at the end of the match, but it's interesting how it's just not yet like something that they're really focusing or emphasizing at all yet. Yeah, because that would happen next year against the Ric Flair or against Ric Flair when it was 10, right? Because, the, yeah, this was nine and then it would become a thing next year. And I think the fact that we don't talk about this match really shows just how strong WrestleMania 17 was because you have two just titans of the attitude era in triple h and the undertaker they're not even in like the top five on this card as far as i'm yeah. concerned they're really I in like the throwaway the match spot that just, it's the big match that just doesn't get talked about that much whenever anyone brings up yeah, wrestlemania 17 everybody's too busy talking about tlc and austin rock and the street fight and even angle benoit just like the performance they had there's there's really no reason to talk about it and it's all right because triple h undertaker they had their saga continue later on anyway, exactly for so. mm-hmm. for like a couple more decades almost yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and i think that in, in, in its essence as uh, we begin to wind down this podcast episode is i think what wrestlemania 17 did so well is that it let you know that the whole show that you were watching like raw and all that mattered i've seen a lot of wrestlemania's like wrestlemania's that we have been to where you're like oh that's that match is going to open up the show uh, I can miss that. There's no emotional attachment. The fact that the Undertaker and Triple H is not a throwaway match, but within this card, you can be like, oh, I forgot these two had a match in here. Let's you know that all of this matters. Even that China Ivory match, which was not even a match. Like Ivory got literally no offense, but it people gave a damn, right? It's like, I think wrestling fans gave a damn and something that the Attitude Era was so great at. And I think especially with the introduction of the Alliance and the Invasion, it was just gone, is that even Scotty Duhati and Grandmaster Sexy mattered. Like, they mattered. X-Factor, they mattered. And it was just incredible in the X-Factor and, and all that stuff. It's like, 
any character you can pick from the Attitude Era, and they had something going. Whether it was dumb or not, whether they could wrestle or not, it's like you knew what they were all about. Then you introduce the Alliance and the Invasion with like so many wrestlers, and you're trying to balance this out in what, like four hours a week between Raw and SmackDown? Maybe you have a couple things on heat, but then on the pay-per-view, how many people are left off? And you mentioned Sean Stasiak as a joke at the beginning, but the thing is, a lot of people felt like the Sean Stasiak, where you're like, you should not matter to me, but that became half the roster. And even somebody like DDP, that's DD freaking P, became a stalker, so you're like, oh, I shouldn't care about him either. And then injuries started happening, right? It's like, put it this way, like shortly after this WrestleMania, and I think that's another thing we have to like give us mild reaction, this was the last time or around the last time that The Rock in this iteration of The Rock as we knew it would be the case, right? Because then this is where The Rock would dip his toes into acting and all that stuff. It wouldn't be to like 2003 that he made another significant run and we had the final match between Stone Cold and The Rock. Would you say that Triple H being injured shortly afterwards, like The Rock, you know, gradually moving away, Stone Cold from this point forward, he was still there, but he became the Alliance leader and a lot of them couldn't even wrestle due to injury. So you're kind of left like this truly was the end and many was injuries influenced. It just, what did you think about that transition? Yeah. I mean, you did have the big people go away and there were huge shoes to fill, but even above the injuries, I think the thing that really was the nail in the coffin was the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin turned heel at the end of this show. And everything that was great about Steve Austin changed. Um, I, I have to give credit to Jim Ross for this one. I was listening to his podcast the other day. And he mentioned that, like, you have the biggest star ever selling the most merchandise in history. The fact that you couldn't come up for him, like, come up with something for him to do as a good guy um, after WrestleMania, like, the, it really shows just how much of that, like, a breaking point they were of just constantly trying to build these characters and just eventually running out of ideas because, well, there was no ideas left. And the only thing you had was to take the most popular character ever and turn him into a bad guy and then just never being able to recover from that because it was such a harsh change of what the like the character that people tuned in to see did a total 180 and just there was this huge void that injuries did not help and it just that's when it started falling off the tracks yeah pretty much i mean it was kind of ill-timed and i'm not exactly sure why they decided it because didn't they know that the rock was gonna go away to shoot movies it was like because the rock was the guy who was kind of you know, set up to kind of take the reins from Stone Cold. But if if you knew he was going away, I don't understand why they made him a bad guy when they really didn't have someone else to to fill those shoes. Because I actually did go to a Monday Night Raw shortly after WrestleMania 17, and that was when Stone Cold and 
Triple H fought the Hardy Boys at the end of Monday Night Raw, and like they were still doing the Linda and Vince story at the time. That was a good but, Raw. I remember yeah, that one. That's when like the first Lita wrestling, got obliterated yeah, with a chair shot. Yep, that was the first Monday Night Raw I ever attended. Um, and Damn. you know a little bit of everything, like three Ds through tables. It was it was a it was a fun time. Um, but yeah, they didn't really. The Rock was not at that show. And I was, you yeah, know, the Hardy Boys were basically stood in for as being the baby faces for that show. So they really didn't have someone there to like kind of fill those shoes, especially with Austin as a heel. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about the roster, what was left of it, there was never really anybody on the good guy side that could meet Stone Cold Steve Austin at that point. Because for the remainder of 2001, you had, or during the invasion angle, you had him facing people like Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, uh, somewhat Kurt Angle, but it was kind of role reversal. Yeah, Booker T, where they were all good guys with the exception of Booker. But everything kind of felt less than. There was, they weren't able to build people at that time to be on the same level that Stone Cold's opponents were in the Attitude Era, like when he was facing Ministry Undertaker and the different faces of Foley. Like, it was a pretty even playing field, and that just didn't exist in the invasion angle. And would that actually have been different if Stone Cold was still a good guy? I don't know. Probably not, really. So does it actually make much of a difference? I, I think it's because you didn't, as you mentioned so well, if they had if they had Sting, if they had Goldberg, if they had yeah. literally anybody that was like a bigger name, or, hey, if they had DDP and he was like, I don't know, not DDP? a stalker, exactly. <laughs> I think that would... Cause, I'm, oh, I'm sensing a personal gripe here. I freaking hated that. I, I would diamond cut at anybody that I could see as a kid there. Like, I love the you know, diamond cut. I would cut. say, Juan... I'm sensing a gripe here, and I would say that's not a bad thing. Oh no, that's, we're done. No, no, a good it, thing. No, no, don't, don't give me that. Don't you, don't do that. Don't be <laughs> flipping that on my side. Rest, <laughs> but, WrestleMania 17. Go watch it. End of the podcast. A cast. We're exactly. over. <laughs> a cast. The, the final question, people. <laughs> Knowing what happened afterwards. Invasion Alliance. This podcast has more endings than Return of the King. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so basically. What is the legacy of WrestleMania 17 for all of you, knowing that wrestling never, it has never met, it's been 20 years and it has never never recovered. It really exactly. So what is the legacy starting with you? The the legacy, I mean, I think it's where this conversation started to kind of go full circle is it was the end of the Attitude Era. Um, Not only that, um, you know, perfectly encapsulating it, being the conclusion, but also just regarded as one of the strongest WrestleManias of all time. And like we said, you go up and down the card, there's something to actually care about. So those two alone make it one of the best to always go back and watch. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect send off to the best era in wrestling. And what a way for it to go. Absolutely. I think that if this WrestleMania would have been mediocre and then we had everything else that we got, 
it will be very interesting how people will perceive the Attitude Era versus everything that came after. So at least it's like, hey, you went out with a, a bang with like the best audience, the best intro, My Way or the Highway is a song. It's like everything that you could get oh, man, to that freaking video. close that off. We did, oh. So yeah. good. We, we didn't even talk about that, but I, you know, as much as Limp Bizkit feels dated now, that song did work perfectly it's with amazing. this pay-per-view. It's amazing. Yeah. It's perfect. That's if if you're gonna go watch one thing, watch that Austin Rock My Way tribute oh, so before good. it. It's just oh my god, that is cream of la crop. They've never done it as good since. So uh, friends, that's been our our lengthy and incredible discussion about not just WrestleMania 17, but the whole concept of like. Was this the end of the Attitude Era? Like, that's what we personally think, uh, you know, regarding this show. So we would love to get your feedback. Uh, don't be afraid to head over to com slash Discord. We have a wrestling channel, movie channel, game channel, trading card channel, food channel, whatever the hell. We should have a channel about channels at this point. Uh, you can chat along with our, our worldwide community. We have people from all over the place, from Belgium to Canada to Puerto Rico, all that awesome stuff. And if you enjoy what we do, hey, the best way to support is by leaving a five-star review. Thank you. You know, we've reached uh, thousands upon thousands of listeners, and it is thanks to your support. And you can check out uh, video versions of everything we cover at uh, youtube.com slash past and subscribe over there. So that will be doing it for this exciting, incredible Hold WrestleMania 7. Oh, no, I need to pause here. I'd like to make a quick clarification. When you say that we have people in the Discord from Canada and Puerto Rico, it's not just Juan and I. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And actually, I should just say, we have people from Boston, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Somebody joined us and like, hey, sup? They're like, oh, this is awkward. I'm the fourth guy. No. No, it's <laughs> not right, like now, that. Now it's you not end, like that. Now you can end the show. Just need to get that out on, there. On, on, a, on a cast. To the to the past. Past. Keith. Yes. Keith. You don't talk to me on the Discord, do you? I I guess I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. I'm trying to remember we, the last time I I, 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 I had a conversation just, with you on there. <laughs>